This episode of Moon Tower Business is brought to you by your local State Farm agent, Alejandra de la Torre. Alejandra's team has amazing customer service, knowledgeable staff, and super competitive pricing. They also have a very convenient location in Round Rock, located at 2200 North A.W. Grimes Boulevard, Suite 500. Alejandra's team is bilingual, and they have over 52 years of combined experience in the insurance industry. Alejandra's team is very friendly and helpful, and they always go the extra mile. They even have after-hours emergency availability. So please call Alejandra's State Farm team for all of your insurance needs, whether it's auto, home, life, or business. Their telephone number is 512-244-3311, or you can see their website at www.alexdelatorre.net. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Moon Tower Business Podcast. This is your host, Joseph Obell. And today I'm speaking to Richard Leiter, who is the co-author of Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? A Path of Purposeful Aging. Uh, Richard, how you doing? I'm doing great, Joseph. How about you? Doing well, doing well. Thank you for coming on the podcast uh, to share a little bit about your, uh, about your book uh, that I think was recently uh, released July 13th. Is that right? That's true. And thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Well, I guess before we get started, maybe you can kind of introduce yourself and tell listeners a little bit about uh, your background, things you've been involved in. And, and uh, I know you've, you've written or co-written about 11 books. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that as well. Well, uh, I'm the uh, founder and the chairman of an organization called InVenture, like AdVenture, but InVenture, the purpose company. And I've been a pioneer in the purpose movement for four decades. And the purpose movement is about unlocking the power of purpose in your life, in leadership, in entrepreneurship, in healthcare, in aging. And it's really across the fields, I found that um, a couple things to mention. Number one is purpose is age agnostic. People of all ages are hungry for a reason to get up in the morning and work that really fits what they stand for, that, that type of thing. And the second thing is that purpose is fundamental. It's not a luxury for a certain age or a certain education or affluent level. Purpose is, we have found, fundamental to health, to healing, to happiness, to even to longevity, and of course, to creativity, productivity, uh, innovation, et cetera. So I've been writing and speaking about this across all the continents and um, everything from the U.S. State Department to the National Football League. And so um, purpose is what I, I want to stress in the beginning here is really not a luxury. It's really fundamental to really a fulfilling life, but also an innovative, creative life. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm reading your book now. I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, the beginning was kind of interesting when uh, your co-author and yourself, I think David Shapiro, yeah. were at a baseball game and uh, <laughs> and you went to go watch the game and it ends up getting rained out and you end up having a, this bonding moment uh, where you kind of reflect on your friendship. Um, and can you talk a little bit about that experience and I guess just what inspired you to write this particular book? 
Well, we call it the long conversation, Joseph. And uh, it was a long conversation because we waited and waited uh, during the rainout of the ball game. But the fact is, it's a long conversation that we've had over writing six books together and uh, two bestsellers. We wrote this book because we're both aging and we wanted to look at, you know, we grow up twice, first from adolescence to adulthood, but then we outgrow adulthood and into elderhood. And we wanted, uh, you know, what's the new narrative for that? Because in 1900, the average life expectancy was uh, around age 47. Now it's in the upper 80s. So we've added, you know, with some luck and genetics, et cetera, we've added about uh, 30 years or more to our lives. So what do we do with that? What's the, what, what do we know about positive aging as opposed to anti-aging? Because a lot of the narrative, uh, some of your listeners may not uh, be old enough to know this, but others will, that the last book like this was Passages. It was written 47 years ago. And it was on the New York Times bestseller list for years because people wanted a new narrative about what was then midlife. Well, now they're hungry for, particularly post-pandemic, for a new narrative about kind of, I'll say, the second half or the later life. And so that's what this book is is meant to be. So that's what we wanted to, to write about. And I would say one more thing, uh, Joseph, and that is that many people live what we, we wrote a chapter in the book, the most popular chapter in the book is how do I stop living a default life? So a default life is one you didn't choose, the one that was kind of dished up to you through your where you lived and where you went to school and a lot and economics and a lot of other things. But at a certain point in life, we hopefully get to choose to move from a default life to what we call the good life. And David and I have studied the good life now. We wrote a bestseller called Repacking Your Bags lighten your load for the good life. That book sold over a million copies in 21 languages. And this is an extension into aging of that. And here's what we said about the difference between a default life and the good life. The good life is living in the place you love, with the people you love, doing the work you love with purpose or on purpose. And the work you love could be change over time. And it will change over time, and it has to change over time uh, in these in these days. But the, the key is choice and how we go about making that choice. And so that's what the book's about, is helping people through story, through question, through uh, simple exercises to make that choice. Reading about the that in, in your book, uh, The Default Life, and kind of, uh, you know, when you're younger and you're, you're becoming uh, an adult, you know, it kind of hit home because... <laughs> You know, a lot of people like myself, when you're younger and you're you're going to school, I, I'm an attorney by trade. Uh, mm. You you kind of get into this autopilot of what society thinks that you should do and exactly. the t- type of career that you should have and where you right. should be, where you should live and the types of things that you should own, et cetera. And I mean, I feel like I felt fell into that kind of, uh, you know, path. Right. And right. then uh, I'm, fo- I'm 40 years old, 41 years old now. I've been able to do a little bit of my career and I feel like I'm kind of transitioning into this, this new life, the better life where you can actually make decisions on what you really enjoy doing and the type of work that you, that you want to do. Uh, you, you have, I guess, getting older and maturing and then just understanding you can make better decisions on what you want to do going forward. And so I think this really hit home for me personally. Yeah. Well, I think, and I don't know if, if it's, if you would say it this way, Joseph, but the clock is ticking. 
And so you see at a certain point that uh, you're penciled in for a short time. And when do you get to be more, more authentically yourself? Because sometimes we, have, you know, maybe being a lawyer, doing whatever you did for worked, but then at a certain point it didn't or it doesn't. And you're, you want to grow. So the key to this book is that everybody's getting older. Aging isn't really optional, but growing older is. So the distinction between just getting older and growing older, what, do, what does that mean? How do we grow? What's the new narrative? How do we get an advanced degree in, in, in maturity? As I said, we grow up twice, once from youth to adulthood and then from adulthood to elderhood. What is that? choice point and how do we, we make it? And so what's the new contribution to that? We call it the path of purposeful aging. And as I said earlier, purpose is really fundamental. I did a PBS special a few years ago shown in 400 cities, including Austin, where you are. And, uh, that, uh, and then I went out to different cities across the country to do live events following the PBS special, which was a fundraiser. You know, each community, if you uh, pledge at this level, you get the book and you get the DVD, et cetera. I went out to these cities and whole families showed up. Grandparents, parents, kids all showed up saying, you know, we're all kind of at a choice point for different reasons, but it's, and, and so one of the things that, uh, that I did with the PBS special is I went out and visited neuroscience laboratories across the country to find out if, can science really explain purpose? Is there evidence that purposes matters beyond just the concept? And what I found 100% is that science can't explain purpose. And one of the neurologists held up a pill and he said, Richard, you see this pill? This can uh, seriously affect positively dementia and Alzheimer's, can help with sleep apnea, can add seven to 10 years to your life. And he went on and on. He said, would you buy this? And I went, well, of course, but who wouldn't? And, and is, is there one? And he said, he, smi- he held up the pill and he smiled. And he said, it's purpose. We now know that certainly sleeping and hydration and exercise and all, but we know that the brain actually has neuroplasticity. And when you have a reason to get up in your morning, we call it purpose or the, the big why. Uh, why do I do this? Actually, we this affects the brain and affects all, all these factors. So uh, uh, the evidence now is purpose. You know, every new idea goes through three steps, ridicule, opposition, and then self-evident. Well, purpose now is becoming self-evident, but particularly post-pandemic, because many, many people are saying, I want to do my life the way I want to do it. And I realize that I could die. And they don't say that, but they realize that that they're that you know that they're not here forever, so they need to get on with things. It's interesting that uh, you know anyone at any age should kind of take this approach, right? Because I think, yeah, like I was exactly. reading your book, you kind of forget sometimes uh, getting being old or an age is all relative, right? I mean, I'm 41 years old. When I see a college kid, I think they they look super young. But like you're saying <laughs> in your book, but like. <laughs> a, a, a second grader sees a college kid and they look really old. Right. So like, right, right. and I guess at any age, you can kind of take this approach about purpose and, and figuring out what you want to do because life is so short. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm on the other end, I'm older than you. And, and, you know, and so uh, one of the stories in the book that I think is really might be interested to your interesting to your listeners is the story about a guy named Ed Rapp. Ed was a president of Caterpillar Company, 
they have three presidents and a CEO, and he was about to become CEO. And at age 57, he was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And he immediately retired from being in line to lead Caterpillar. And he was a worldwide phenom in the in that world, in the business world. And uh, rather than just pack it all in, you know, ALS is a five to seven year sentence. And uh, he's now in his sixth or seventh year. He's raised almost $15 million. He created a foundation to raise uh, research. He knew it wouldn't help him, but it might help somebody else in the future. But here's the point. He said, you know, with any adversity, Joseph, you have the choice of either really saying, oh, poor me, or you have a choice to step into it. Every single, he lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, Every single morning, he wakes up at eight o'clock or he gets up at eight o'clock in the morning. He has a phone call where he coaches somebody who was just diagnosed with ALS and is terrified and wants to talk to somebody. And these are people he's never met, people he'll never see probably in person. But he says, this is the good life. It's not the good life that I expected, but he said, I'm going to make the best of this adversity and make an impact in the world. And he said, I find a certain joy every morning in being able to get up and actually uh, have this conversation with somebody. So we all have adversities, whether they're younger, mid or late. It's it's the choice we make, uh, how we deal with those. And I I would just add that one I think everybody probably who's listening has had not necessarily mentors, but they've had what I call fortuitous encounters with people who really changed their point of view on life. Well, one of mine was long, long time ago, Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning after he was in three concentration camps and his whole family was killed. And he came out of that and became, um, his, his book is in, I don't know how many, he died in 1997. But Frankl said this, Picture yourself in a, as in a, in a concentration camp, which I can't even, I mean, I can't imagine. But he said he had the choice to get up every morning and give somebody else a hug, a kind word, a crust of bread that he saved, hope, and have hope himself. And he said that didn't always mean that you would survive the constant, but most people, more people who did that did better than those that did not have that choice. And he said, so look at the life that people have today and all the choices. Why are they not making choices that matter, that make their life more meaningful, uh, et cetera, rather than letting the adversity sort of uh, cave in for them? That's very inspiring. I mean, he had a choice that either he can kind of feel sorry for himself or get up and try to make a difference. And that's that's uh, truly inspiring. Exactly. And we all have that choice. Purpose ultimately gets down to, you know, I'll give this to your listeners, two words, uh, uh, grow and give. That's purpose. And I talk talk about unlocking purpose, not finding it out there, but discovering it in here, so to speak. And if you get up every day with an intention to grow today and give, and you have 1,440 purpose moments every day, that's how many moments there are in a day. Those little choice points like Franco was talking about, where you can actually give somebody else a kind word or an email or a phone call or a affirmation just in a 30 seconds or you know something like that. But if you give, it, give up, so I always advise people to put a little post-it on your mirror and write the universal purpose, grow and give on that post-it. And tomorrow morning when you get up, look at that post-it and ask yourself, how am I going to grow and give today? 
And at the end of the day, ask yourself, how did I grow and give today? That way you'll have a felt sense of really the power of purpose. And after, after doing that for five days, I guarantee you that people will have a felt sense of this is actually a life I want to live. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, Richard, what would you say is your uh, target audience for this book? Well, we started out with the 50 plus crowd because of the new narrative for aging. But what we found, as I mentioned earlier, is that uh, purpose is age agnostic. It's, we're finding people of uh, many ages uh, reading it. And it's a, it's a nice little short purpose uh, story inspired book that you can pass on to other people. And so we're hoping that uh, book clubs read it and that other people. And so far, what we found, though, is that people of all ages are reading it. But we really are directing at that midlife audience, the boomer crowd, so to speak, that's really moving in by the 10,000 a day into the next phase of life, wondering how to find fulfillment and happiness and to live a longer life. And so we'll see. That's great. I know it just came out uh, July 13th, but have you gotten any feedback from uh, readers? So far? Yes, we've had uh, plenty of feedback from readers. Uh, first of all, my publisher that I've been with for a long time says in 30 years, they've never had more media interview requests for a book than this one. Oh, wow. So that's one thing. And the, and the reader uh, feedback, thanks for the question, has been really about this whole business of shifting from a default life to a good life. That's the first chapter that really resonates with them. And then the other uh, there's a little exercise. It's not a field guide, but there's an exercise in the book. Am I having a late life crisis? Well, about, you know, I, for many years was called Dr. Midlife Crisis because I was dealing with burnout and crisis. Now I'm finding that about one out of three people are, are having what is a later life crisis, meaning how do I really, I don't really want to retire. I don't really want to, you know, look, what's the new options and new narratives for this next phase of life? And how do I stay healthy and happy and grow in this next phase of life and stay? The key word is relevance. What I learned, uh, Joseph, is people want to stay relevant, even if they're, you know, I always say there's three M's, money, medicine, and meaning. We need enough money. We need enough. Medicine is code for health, not just medicine. But we also need meaning. You know people who, are, who have enough money and are innovator stars and have enough health but are meaningless and are miserable. And we also know people who don't have a lot of money and health but are deeply fulfilled. And so we need all three, money, medicine, and meaning, to live the good life. Absolutely. Um, are you going to be doing a uh, book tour well, I am doing a book tour now, but it's uh, it's turning into the fall. It's becoming a bit more alive, but mostly it's Zoom and podcasts and interviews and things like that. So uh, my, you know, I have about 50 scheduled on my calendar right now, and I've never seen anything like it before because like you, they personalize it. They ask good questions and it's, and it's personal to them, not just as journalists or podcasters. They really are interested in this. Absolutely. That's great. Uh, so how can folks uh, buy the book? Where can you find it uh, online or, or at bookstores? Well, it's available in uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and probably your independent uh, bookstores and also through uh, bkb-k.com, which is my uh, uh, publisher. 
But my website, which is my name, Richard Leiter, L-E-I-D-E-R.com, has excerpts, has videos, has all kinds of things. If people are saying, I wonder what this is really all about, they can go to my website. It'll point them where to buy it as well. Great. I'll put that information in the show notes for listeners to, to look it up and check it out. Um, you're a very experienced uh, uh, author. Uh, you know, you've written or co-written 11 books. <laughs> Uh, what would you? What kind of advice would you give to uh, listeners that are interested in, in writing a book for the first time? Well, a lot of people want to write a book so that they can either become famous or that it'll help their business. But what really counts are two things. Number one is only write something you're really passionate about, that you're willing to get up in the morning and do the due diligence. And the second thing is, what's your writing practice? If you don't have a practice, you're a waiter, not a writer. And so people say, well, I don't really have a practice. And I said, well, you're never going to write a book then. If you're waiting for inspiration, it doesn't happen. It's like heavy lifting, a little bit of pipe today, a little bit of pipe tomorrow, and eventually you get the pipeline, but you have to pay the price. And, uh, and so I get up to write every day uh, what I really uh, care about. And most of what I write uh, doesn't go anywhere, but some of it does. And some of it ends up in blogs or books or or, or other things like that. But I'm in, uh, what I'm, it's not, I'm not just doing it so I can sell books or so, so that I can build a business. I'm doing it because it's something I really care about. That's great. Richard, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing a little bit about yourself and, uh, and your book. Um, I wish you continued success. I'm, I'm really enjoying the book and I'm going to looking forward to, to finishing it up and, and uh, writing a review about it. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much again for coming to the podcast and, and uh, hopefully we can get you on sometime again. I hope you will. And I really appreciate it. And I liked your questions a lot. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, sir. This episode is brought to you by our affiliate Gemini. Gemini is a well-respected cryptocurrency exchange started by Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. If you're interested in purchasing Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other altcoins, please check out their website at gemini.sjv.io backslash moontower to learn all about it. Thank you.